From author Ed Teha, if you like salty adventure with crimes as varied as the people on the waterfront, check out Martin Billings. The ex-seal runs a Caribbean freighter with Ugly Bill, managing to get himself dragged into mysteries, conspiracies, and an ocean full of trouble. If you like lighter mysteries, check out Matt Kramer with The Surreal Southwest. He's a private investigator in the little town of Silver City, New Mexico. As one reviewer said about an impossible abduction, missing people, aliens, witch shamans, and ravens all roll into one weirdly comical, fast-moving novel. Check out Ed Teha on Amazon. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you in the heart of a mystery. Some episodes are original stories. Others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. All are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements which means instead of word-for-word readings and musical playing, you get what Jack and I feel like saying and playing, a performance meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes, even when I really mess up. Support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. Mystery readers, check out our print and ebooks. Last season's companion, A Word Before Dying, is available in trade paperback from Amazon and ebook everywhere else. Celebrate the start of our new season with your order and receive 20% off the original price through January 2023. Welcome to season five, Move It or Lose It. This season contains original stories paying homage to the vehicles that propelled mysteries forward. A train was the setting for Agatha Christie's famed murder on the Orient Express, and a riverboat took center stage on Death on the Nile. Cars have been prominently featured in American crime stories with the glory of the getaway vehicle. And then there are the heists, from carriages to trains to armored trucks. For episode one, a chartered fishing boat is the featured vehicle. This is Party Boat by Ed Teha. Dead in the Water. Lee Wallace walked into my office wearing a disgustingly sparkling white pressed uniform. As if interrupting my morning coffee wasn't enough, the fool flashed me a big grin like we were going to be friends and he just dropped in for a chat. A very good morning to you, Sheriff Bart Hadley, he said all too cheerfully. I have exciting news for you this fine morning. Lee is the commanding officer of the local U.S. Coast Guard patrol boat, but he fancies himself a performance artist. He was also clearly trying to impress Max, Maxine Charles, my ambitious deputy. His exuberant attitude made me cringe. News. That's just what I wanted to hear. You told me you dreamt of running a charter boat. Well, I brought you one. 
tossing a set of keys to me. He pointed a thumb over his shoulder toward the deck. I parked it over yonder. How thoughtful, I said, sounding as grumpy as I felt. It's a fixer-upper, I'm guessing. His shrug was far too casual. Heck, you just need to figure out the story behind the dead body lying in the cockpit. He grinned again. But I'm told that's what you sheriff types do for fun. Watching him drop the official crime report on my desk, handwritten no less, made my stomach ache. I could sense the weight of the impending serious investigation. You busting in here early, interrupting my coffee, makes me think I deserve an executive summary, I said. His grin intensified, lighting up his face. Caper started yesterday aboard the effin' fun run. That's your new boat. It seems that after a tiring day in the hot sun, one that combined lousy fishing, too much booze, and a lot of pointless negotiating over some business deal, all that fun, this morning their fellow passenger, a gent named Dexter Wilde, woke up to find himself dead on the water. He seemed proud of the inaccurate turn of phrase. Terrific. Since he's awake, please ask Mr. Wilde to come in and make the report himself. Your sarcasm aside, it looks like murder to my untrained eye, Lee said. Finally, Max added in. I glared at her, then sighed and picked up the report, skimming it for a few legible facts before tossing it over to my deputy. I'm guessing your suspicion is that murder comes from the small but rather significant detail you omitted. The reason Dexter Wilde woke up dead, as you so quaintly put it, had a great deal to do with the bullet that entered his head through the left temple and exited through the back of his skull, taking much of the man's skull with it as it departed. Lee nodded. That did strike me as a clue. While you're on the roll, I said, answer the big question for us. Who did it? Lee shrugged. I do boats. You do murders. The separation of boating regulation enforcement and criminal investigation is guaranteed under the Constitution. Isn't that right, Max? Max grinned and not because of his joke. I don't think so. And rather than your standard routine, how about giving us the timeline of events, Lee? She said, waving the report. Your handwriting sucks. We answered a mayday, he said. That's a distress call to you. When we arrived, we found that it was the crew that was distressed about the dead guy. The boat was fine. We secured the scene, took everyone on board, and we towed the boat back here to you, seeing as the crime is your kind of thing. Well, it certainly was Max's kind of thing. Where is the gun, she asked, the murder weapon. No idea, Lee said. Didn't see one lying about, he glanced down at his watch. But you two need to deal with that. The coroner's on board now. I called ahead so he'd meet us. I've sent you a pile of photos of the body just as it was when we came on board. My men have the six people from the boat on the pier. They can watch them until you do whatever sheriffs do. But I need to get back to base in case some important boating stuff happens. Your command of technical jargon is impressive, I said. Y'all have fun. Lee was shaking his head at us as he left. You look upset, Max said, when we were alone. This trashes my delightful quiet morning of doing useless and unnecessary paperwork, I told her. She snorted. Paperwork was a big chunk of the job of sheriff in smallish town. 
like Essex Key, Florida, and law enforcement is a bit of a juggling act. Since most of the, most of the locals spend their days and nights separating tourists from their money, they expect their sheriff to prevent crime without hassling their marks. Most of the crime here is pickpocketing, shoplifting, and the occasional drunken disorderly, and that allowed me to keep everyone happy with an enforcement strategy that had a strong resemblance to a catch-and-release program. That, more than my dubious detective skills, kept getting me re-elected. Welcome to Florida. Now, Max was a smart, liable detective, often bored, Max was a smart and reliable deputy, often bored, who harbored ambitions of solving major crimes. Lee had handed us her delight and my nightmare. She had a serious crime that needed solving, and I had a public relations problem, an unsolved murder. We had an apparent murder, a handful of suspects, and a floating crime scene, a 55-foot Gilman Sport Fisher charting boat, a beautiful craft, if memory served, with the stupid name of effin' Fun Run. As Lee said, the boat was mine, all mine, to do with as I pleased, as long as it pleased me, to figure out who committed the murder in record time, and then hold a press, press conference, triumphantly announcing that skilled police work had freed our waters of violent criminals. Let's take a look, I said. Max and I walked out to the dock where Lee had left the boat. I nodded to the two pimple-faced teenager Coasties standing uneasily, staring at my six suspects. Six disheveled humans who wanted to be anywhere but standing in the hot sun, waiting to be interrogated. George, our coroner, had parked the meat wagon alongside the boat. He and his assistant were at work in the cockpit. As I dismissed the Coasties... Did someone just say meat wagon? It, it did say meat wagon. All right. Oh, all right. <laughs> As I dismissed the Coast Guard, a tall, balding man stepped forward. What's going on here? I squared up to him. Murder, right? Well, that staggered him. I mean, why are we standing here when we can go home or at least back to our hotels? I offered him my best school teacher scowl, the kind you get for missing the obvious. Not until I've taken statements from each of you, individually. Well, we already told the Coast Guard that's bureaucracy for you, I said. Max, I'll check out the boat, then you can bring them aboard. Max smiled. While we wait, when I should give them the usual warnings about how running off before being told is a felony? I gave her a short nod, and please deliver your admonishment with a stern demeanor, deputy. George and his deputies were about done and had a gurney balanced precariously on the railing. On top was a person-sized lump in a body bag. I gave them a hand getting it onto the pier and into their hearse. Did he die from the gunshot, I asked? Well, it certainly didn't help his health, George said. I can check his lungs to see if he drowned, if you like. Is there a possibility it was suicide? George gave me a look that suggested I should go back and have another cup of coffee before I got into serious thinking. From the angle, he said, I doubt it very much. When I have some facts, I'll send you the report. I can hardly wait. I'm sure it'll be riveting reading, I told him. I went on board, stepping around the pool of drying blood. That would be a mess to clean up. Not my mess, fortunately. 
She was indeed a lovely craft, an ideal charter boat. I went to the helm and grabbed the wheel, imagining myself out at sea. My dream was all too common. The idea of retiring to run a charter boat, taking people out for blue water fishing. But a decent boat, like this one, well, it doesn't come cheap. And then chartering is a competitive racket with high operating costs. It can eat into your savings faster than dream retirement number two, owning a waterfront bar. I turned to face the group milling about. Send the captain up. A portly man came on board and stuck out his hand. Bill Mix, he said. Bad shit, this. Murder usually is, I said. Do you keep a gun on board? Sure, he said, a, a 38. It's legal. Show me. I gave the order, hoping it was going to be as simple as it sounded. Mix led me down the ladder to a stateroom where he pulled open a drawer, stared at it for a moment, and then turned to me. It's gone, he said. You don't sound all that surprised, I told him. Bill shook his head. I didn't figure the shooter brought one in their luggage, he said. Makes sense that they grabbed mine. We prowled below decks with him pointing out who was which, in which stateroom. I doubted that mattered, but I was getting a feel for the place, hoping that something triggered my intuition. It didn't happen. Strong, lingering odors of alcohol and marijuana told a story of serious partying, but otherwise, I got zip in the way of clues. I went back up on deck and waved at Max. She and the Coasties herded our suspects on board and down into the saloon. As they trooped by me, each flashed a resentful look. I sighed. My agenda for the day, listening to their stories, sorting through the few facts to get to the truth of what happened, promised tedium. At least Max was excited. I need everyone to return to their cabins until I call you, I said. When we've taken your statements, you can go to a hotel. I suggest you pick something nearby because we'll want to talk to you several times before we're done. Their moans were no less annoying because I expected them. Can't me and Sandy stay on my boat? Captain Bill Mixax. Sandy's my crew, and hotels in this town are too damn expensive for working people. I caught Max nodding her approval out of the corner of my eye. That's fine, I told him. Truth is elusive at the best of times. Even trained professional cops have trouble spotting when liars lie. An elective sheriff has to listen real close and then try to use common sense to catch them out. It was going to be a long day. Where was that Poirot fellow when you needed him? Talking trucks and fishing. Okay, everybody, pay attention, because here's where he interviews all those suspects. We started the interviews with Artie Coughlin, a tall, balding man from the pier. He sat at the dinette across from Max, who turned on her little high-tech recorder. We need to create the timeline of events, she told him. I admired the confident knowledge of procedure she'd gotten from watching the finest detective shows. What was the purpose of this little weekend, I asked. Talking trucks and fishing, Artie said. We were mixing business and pleasure. We, Dexter Wilde and I, sell trucks, tractors for semis. Jan, that's Mrs. Polder, is the VP of a trucking company. She's my client. I could see Artie counting dollars in his head. The company, 
Her company, he said, needs six tractors. I knew that she liked deep sea fishing and I asked Dexter to authorize the trip so I could get her out here, you know, away from the office. We'd have fun and find out what competitors were offering and then see if we couldn't match them. I snorted. A free fishing trip sounds like bribery to me. Artie looked surprised. Normal business. Tax deductible even. Of course it was. I was getting a feel for it. And Wild is your... was your boss? He nodded. National VP of Sales. I'm the regional sales manager. How was the trip going, I asked. That is, before someone killed your boss, I mean. Artie sighed and shook his head. It was terrible. He and Jan did not get along at all. Oil and water. Why did you bring him along? Well, I had to ask him to authorize the trip, and he agreed. Then he insisted on booking it himself and told me he was coming. He's the boss. He told me that Jan, it's Mrs. Polder, the client, would be impressed that he took personal interest. Was she impressed, I asked. Artie laughed. When she got here and saw him, she was mad as hell. Turns out that he was the salesman on her account before me. She told Anne, that's my wife, that she hated Dexter. I raised an eyebrow. Why didn't the woman just leave then? You need to ask Jan, he said. But I imagine it was because she wanted to make the deal. Besides, she knew that even if he, she and I came to terms, that Dexter had to sign off on it. And she loved fishing. All right, I said, so what happened next? I could see that getting the story out of this guy was going to be like pulling teeth. Artie rolled his eyes, recalling, well, we went fishing. Sandy helped her run lines and Dex fed her booze and bent her ear making his pitch. After lunch, she took him aside for a private chat and that's when she made a counter offer. Did he accept it, I asked? Artie shook his head again, side to side. No, he told her he'd consider it. That's what you do when you're negotiating. And he was. When we anchored for the night, he went up in the cockpit to run some numbers to see if it worked. When I went up, he told me about the deal. Did you like it? I needed it. Artie sighed. I didn't like it at all, but I told him we should take it. An hour later, he came into the saloon angry as hell and saying that the deal was off the table and he was looking for Jan. Anne, that's my wife, told him Jan was up on the deck. He staggered up there and we heard them arguing loudly. She screamed at him about taking this boat back to port. Now. And he wouldn't do it, I asked. Artie shrugged. Anne told me to go talk to him again, remind him that we needed the deal to happen. Dex wouldn't talk about it, said it was done even when I begged him to take the deal. You begged him, I said. Artie got a classic hand dog look. Honestly, business has been slow and company-wide cutbacks are coming. I needed the sale. But Dexter had made up his mind and he wouldn't listen. He grabbed a bottle of scotch and went back to his cabin. I went to tell my wife. We were getting off track, so I pulled it back. All right, tell me about the deal Jan offered, this counter offer. Surely there was something in there. A sweetheart deal, Artie said, slumping forward. She wanted us to sell the trucks to a company she owned, then she'd lease them to her company. But she wanted a special price and financing. In return, she offered to make Dexter a non-voting shareholder. He wouldn't be involved other than financially. 
talk about fishy, I thought. Is this legal? Not so much, he said, his lips kind of twisting. Like Dexter said, it was illegal and could even be considered fraud. He sighed again, something this man seemed prone to do. <sighs> but it was the only deal on the table. Next, Jan Polder settled in the hot seat, looking unperturbed to give us her take. She started with her dislike for the deceased. Dexter Wilde was an asshole and a bully, Jan announced. He thought he could push a woman around. I hated doing business with a jerk. It was a relief when he got promoted and I could deal with Artie. Then why go out on the cruise, I asked, especially when you found out that he was going. She made a face. I made a bad call. Artie Coughlin suggested going on this cruise and it seemed like a fun way to get his best deal. I had no idea that Dexter Wilde would be here or I wouldn't have come. Jan shifted in her chair. Well, that isn't totally true. No matter what Artie promised, we'd, we still needed Wilde to sign off on the terms. Even though I hated the idea of negotiating with him directly and especially being cooped up on a boat with him, since I was here, I thought I might as well face up to it and get the deal done. I put pen to paper and made a note or two. Artie said you made your own offer. <laughs> she laughed. You bet I did. They gave me a price and terms and I demanded some concessions in the structure. That ass, Dexter, pretended to consider it. After we anchored, Artie went to talk to him about it. Pretty normal and I expected them to come back with some minor tweaks. She shivered. Instead, they were shouting. Well, that was news. Artie and Dexter were sharding. She nodded. Then Dexter stomped off to his cabin. She gave me a wicked smile. I thought about following them, catching him off guard and seeing if they decided anything. But the captain followed Dexter into his cabin. He shut the door and then they had an argument. The captain and Dexter argued, I said. About what? I, I couldn't hear the words, she said. I assumed it had to do with the totally crap luck we had fishing. Dexter thought he was a Hemingway. He wanted a marlin. Did you see Dexter alive again, Max asked. Jan nodded. I went on deck to look at the stars. You never see them in the city. Did you know Dexter followed me there? He was drunk and upset. He stormed over to where I was sitting and told me the deal was dead. Jan's lips twisted. Negotiations were over, like it was my fault. I could picture it. And you demanded the boat return to shore. She smiled. I did. It's only an hour run back if you aren't fishing. If we weren't doing business, then I wanted to cut the trip short and fly home. And he refused, I said. Jan nodded. Between anger and drink, and he'd had a lot, he wouldn't budge. He said he paid good morning money for this trip and we were damn well going to fish. And you screamed at him, I asked? Wouldn't you? At the time, I was livid. If he didn't want to do business, then I didn't want to be stuck on this goddamn boat with him. Then she pulled herself up upright. For you ask, I went to my cabin and never saw him alive again. When it was Dorothy Wilde's turn to talk, the new widow was vague, unaware of what had been going on. Dex said he'd authorized a fishing trip and wanted me to book it. Then he insisted we go along like it would be fun, even though I always get so seasick and miserable. That fit with what the others had told me about him. Did you hear the arguments, I asked? 
I heard shouting, Dorothy said. I've learned not to listen. I mean, it's pointless. Dex gets pissed off when, when things don't go his way, and that's pretty often lately. He shouts at you, I asked. She frowned. Always. I intended to go to bed, but he argued with Artie. He stomped down to the cabin. I decided it was time to have another drink or two with Anne. I was glad I did because Captain Mix went in after him, and they had quite a row. I was already nauseous, and that made my head hurt. When the captain left, Dex went up to the deck, so I snuck back into the cabin and went to bed. Did he come back to the cabin, I asked. She shook her head. No idea. I took s sleeping pills, and I was out cold. Then she shook herself. About Dex's body. I want to get him cremated. Sure, I said. After the autopsy. Autopsy? She let a out a little amused giggle that surprised me. <laughs> you think maybe he died of a heart attack, then got shot? Or shot himself? We look at everything, I said. I agreed with her about its potential value, but it was procedure. She sighed. I certainly hope it doesn't take long. When I call his mother and tell her Dexter is dead, it would be nice to be able to tell her that I've put his ashes in the mail so she can put them on an altar and worship the son of a bitch. True love has so many stories. Artie's wife, Anne, had another perspective. I think Dexter Wilde was deliberately sabotaging the negotiations, she said. Artie worked hard to give clients decent terms and I think he came along to make sure Artie didn't make a deal. I watched her eyes. Why would he do that? The company is going through a rough patch, she said, choosing her words carefully. There are rumors of layoffs, and you can bet that Dexter was blaming his regional managers and Artie was having a bad quarter. If he got a sweet sale, well, that might decide Artie should have the VP job. Wouldn't Wilde get credit for Artie's sale since he is the boss? I was starting to think being sheriff wasn't such a bad job after all. She laughed. I mean, maybe. Who understands company politics? You asked, and that's how it seemed to me. Anyway, when we anchored, I told Artie to go talk to Dex and find out what he was thinking and urge him to make the deal. That didn't go well, though, I said. She shook her head. Not so much. Anne heard Wilde's argument with the captain and then the one with Jan on deck. Just the vile tones of his voice, she said. Fortunately, I had enough tequila and weed by then that nothing that they said got inside my head. Although he had no idea what happened that night, Captain Bill Mix admitted that he didn't think much of Dexter Wilde either. Running a charter for him was a living hell. Surprised the crap out of me. His wife, who booked us, was nice. From the moment he came on board, he bitched about everything. Yes, the captain heard the arguments too. They argued the whole day, he said. Wilde argued with Jan Polder while they were supposed to be fishing. Then Artie arguing with Wilde after we anchored. Then Wilde and Jan were shouting on the desk. Deck. Then Artie was arguing with Wilde again. Nuts. But then, most everyone except the Polder woman and me and Sandy spent the day drinking and smoking weed. That's okay when it's friends, but this was a toxic bunch. After we anchored, Sandy and I stayed as clear of them as you can on a small boat. So Mix didn't hear the gunshot, but then said, I spent the middle of the night in the engine room. 
Then there were fireworks for some party ashore. I went to bed, dead tired, and fell asleep. I've been scribbling notes from his observations, but that stopped me. You normally do engine work in the middle of the night? Maintenance needs doing, he said. You can't do it while we're fishing. Had to wait until after dinner when the engines cooled down. Sandy Travers, the mate on the ship, had nothing nice to say about any of their guests. This is a typical bunch of entitled Yankee tourists that hated each other, was her summary. No surprise one of them kills another over something stupid. I figured we'd lose a couple. But what the stupid thing they fought over was, and who the killer was, didn't interest her at all, even though she had found the body. I came up to clean up and get ready for a day's fishing, she said. Found him lying in a heap with blood everywhere. Did that upset you, I asked? Hell yeah! Guess who gets to clean that up? If we ever get our boat back. I took her back to the real issue. You didn't see a gun lying around? No, Sandy said, but I didn't look for one either. I saw a dead guy and I went to get the captain. Is there a gun on board, I asked. She nodded. Bill, you know, that's the captain. He keeps a 38 in his cabin, just as he told me. Is it locked up, I asked her. She sneered. Wouldn't be much use in an emergency if it was. With that, Max and I left the captain and Sandy to clean up. Instead of going to the office, I offered to buy a late lunch at Rusty's Waterfront Beach Bar. Penny for your thoughts, Max said. It helps to walk through it. I grinned. Overall, I got the impression that Dexter Wilde, the late Dexter Wilde, who did not die from natural causes, was not a well-loved man, not even liked. Apparently, he was a lousy, demanding husband. He was a lousy, demanding boss. His clients, the one at hand at least, hated his doing, doing business with him and found him loathsome. Oh, and running a charter for him was a living hell. <laughs> she laughed and despised this being the fishing trip from hell and our victim having all of those fine qualities. Not one of the people on board has any idea at all why someone would want poor Dexter dead. From what I heard, I said, if I'd have been on the cruise, I'm not sure I wouldn't have killed him myself. Rethinking the joys of retiring to run fishing charters, she laughed. I gave her a tired smile. I'm rethinking a lot of things. Chumming the Waters I sent Max to the office to run background checks on all seven people. Sometimes, running one on the victim can tell you things you won't find out otherwise, and Max had been dying to have an excuse to dig into people's lives. Without me asking, she stayed in the office all night, burning up the internet, and when I came in the next morning, I found a summary of her research on my desk, all neatly typed. It made interesting, provocative reading. It was still cool out when I went to the boat. Captain Bill Mix offered me a cup of coffee and nodded at Sandy, who had a bucket and brush and was scrubbing the dried blood off the fiberglass of the cockpit. We should go into the saloon to talk, he said. Sanding will be swearing like the sailor she is in a few minutes. I agreed and followed him down, then got to my questions. When we chatted yesterday, it seems you neglected to mention your past relationship with the victim. Relationship? 
I knew him, he said. He was doing time and I was a guard at the prison. I wouldn't call that a relationship. I held up Wilde's rap sheet. Five years for fraud, something none of you mentioned. And you did things for him, things that got you fired. No, the captain said flatly. I needed money and ran some errands for him. Nothing illegal, but it was against regulations. The warden caught a sniff of it somehow. He called me in and told me if I took a transfer to another prison, he'd let it slide. I took a small pay cut, but it was no big deal. I disagree, I said. It ruined your career. He shrugged, dismissing it. Not really. I only had three years to go until retirement. When I got my pension, I sold my house, moved down here, and bought this boat. I never saw the guy again until this weekend. Yeah, I wasn't buying it. Wild chartering your boat and getting killed on it is just a coincidence, I asked him. The captain shook his head. He didn't charter it. His wife booked us. And when he showed up, well, I don't think he even recognized me. Sandy clumped down the ladder. Taking a break already, Bill asked. It's going to be a long day, Sandy said, grabbing a cracked mug advertising a Bill fishing tournament and filling it with coffee. As long as she was here. Sandy, you used to own the boat, the effing fun run, didn't you, I asked. Her face twisted into a scowl. It was called Fun Run then. Oh, I heard the bitterness. How did this change come about? Business sucks, she said. I guess those damn rich Yankees coming down here and expecting you to do everything for them, eat crap on command and smile and wave their hand for fun. I took them fishing and they got mad when they learned fishing didn't necessarily mean catching. Sandy doesn't quite get the concept of customer service, Bill said. The customer, always being right, never made sense to her. Right, she snapped. Some of them deserve to have their faces punched in. Obliging, I said. Such deserving people seems to get you in a fair amount of trouble. I glanced at my notes, Max's notes, refreshing my memory. According to the Key Lime Police, you have a long record of starting bar fights. The chief said you have a record of six wins and two losses. She grinned, proud of it. Would have been seven and one if the cops hadn't busted up the one with Big Lyle. I was just getting my second win. She looked at me. I never killed anyone, if that's what you're thinking. So far, I thought. You got a lot of debt to pay off. She snorted. I paid it off. With Bill's money, I said. She sat bolt upright. With money he paid me, she said. I'd take him fishing a couple times, and when I got in a real bind, Bill offered to pay off the debt and take over the business. He said I could crew for him as long as I didn't talk to the customers much. At all, Bill said. I said, at all. I hired her as a mute worker. She directed her scowl at him. He got a bargain price, and I kept the only job I know. A big chunk of that money went to the marina for dock fees, right? I asked. Sandy nodded sharply. The bastards were overcharging me. I couldn't prove anything, but I'm sure of it. I tapped the pages. One investor in the marina, one of those bastards, was Dexter Wilde. She glared at me with genuine surprise. No shit? You didn't know? Look, she said. I owed the boatyard, the bait shop, and the tax man. Everyone. She got her bearings and gave me her most reasonable look to date. Think of it like running a bar tab and it gets out of hand. 
When a business wants their money, that pisses you off, but it doesn't mean you have beef with the owner. You probably don't even know who, who he or she is. I never met Dexter Wilde before the cruise. I had no idea who he was. It was disappointing, but I believed the one suspect who had a murderous streak. I turned back to the captain. Bill, did you ever find the gun? He shook his head. Nope. Guess it went overboard. Another coincidence, I thought. Dorothy, Wilde's wife, said you had an argument with Wilde. I don't think it was about fishing, either. Bill made a face. These greedy businessmen think they don't have to follow the same rules as everyone else. When we got out into the bay and anchored, I went to the flybridge to do my log. Artie Coughlin and Wilde were arguing in the cockpit. They were loud, and Artie kept telling Wilde he needed to accept some offer. Dexter said he was thinking about it, and it wasn't Artie's decision. Artie said he needed the sale. Even if the deal wasn't legal, they could both make money from it. I cocked my head in surprise. And the idea of a bogus deal upset you? Bill puffed up. I don't like cheats. I hate it when they get away with things. So I confronted Dexter, reminded him who I was and what I knew about his past. Now I was getting somewhere. So you blackmailed him. Bill leaned back. No, I just said I'd be notifying the authorities if he accepted the deal that the woman was offering. I didn't know much, but I had enough information that an investigator could figure it out. If it was shady, as a repeat offender, he'd do more hard time. That made sense to me. And so he agreed to turn it down? Agreed? No. He was scared and then furious. He turned purple and lunged at me. I smashed him into the bulkhead and I left. I intended to give Artie and that Polder woman the same warning on the way back. Well, that certainly explained Dexter's sudden change of heart. Are you sure you didn't offer to let him buy his way out of it? The idea made his face dark. Guys like you turned my stomach, Bill said. Stopping this game made me feel good. And because you're thinking of it, why would I kill him? He looked at me, stared into my eyes. Either Wilde did the right thing, or I'd have put him away. The look of self-righteous indignation on his face made me believe him. Max says I believe people too easily, and maybe she's right. I waved at the saloon. I'm going to need the saloon to chat with some of the others. Bill grinned. Now there is a great excuse for us skipping out on all the boat work we need to do, he said. Do I need to be here, or can we make a supply run? Go ahead, I said. I doubt I need either of them for this next part. Okay, so here we're going to question the suspects again. Many salty suspects. Max was sitting at her desk when I got back to the office. The smile she gave me was unsettling. She held up some papers. I've gotten some feedback to some inquiries I sent out last night. Dexter Wilde had a decent insurance policy, and his wife, Dorothy, is the beneficiary, but I ran a credit check. Sorry to say, Dexter lived large and has a lot of debt. His widow gets the insurance, but she also gets the debt. Killing him leaves her okay, but not well off. Folded my arms as I listened. And so you gleefully rule out our highest probability suspect, the spouse? Yes, she said, but there's other interesting stuff. Waving her stack of papers, she gave me a suspiciously sweet smile. 
Would it be okay if I did the questioning about these loose ends? Under your careful supervisory eye, of course. I don't see why not, I said. After all, the woman was only after my job. So we called Jan. When she sat, Max leaned toward her. You led us to believe that before you came on board, you didn't know Artie's wife, Anne, Max said. She slid a printout of a screenshot across her. According to this online yearbook, the two of you were roommates in college. Jan made a sour face. It was nobody's business. Anne worried that if Dexter found out, he'd press her to use old friendships as some kind of lever to get me to order the damn trucks. And then, well, you were investigating the murder of the Cretan, and I didn't feel much like mentioning our old school tie. Would have been nicer if you had, Max said. When Max mentioned the article to Artie, it seemed he had no clue that the women were old friends. The news rattled him, and then his face brightened. That explains it, he said. Explains what, Max asked. Artie was playing catch-up. Anne was after me to get Dexter to go along with Jan's deal, big time, wanting me to push him hard and to get him to accept and then to cut me in. She said she was worried about my career and that even a shady deal would get me credit for sales when I needed them. He shook his head. Seems like she was trying to help Jan as much as me. I thought he was probably right. Is that all, he asked. Max clapped her hands. That's plenty, she said happily. She turned to me and smiled. After all the hard work we've done, we need to have all the suspects in a room for the big reveal. It'll be fun. This is what it's all about. I laughed. I handed her the reins and was interested to see where she took it. If you say so, I said, call everyone back to the ship. All right, Jack, we've reached our deliberation. And mystery lovers, Captain Ed Teja has given us a salty mess to sink our teeth into. So here's the list of the people that Sheriff Bart Hadley and Deputy Sheriff Max Charles are investigating. Are you ready, Jack? So we have Captain Bill Mix, current skipper of the effing fun run, former skipper of a correctional facility where Dexter Wilde did a stint. All right. Then there's Sandy Travers, crew on the effing fun run, the fishing boat she used to own and that now she mops up dead men's blood. We have Dorothy Wilde, happily to be, be newly widowed and can't wait to burn uh, her a-hole of a husband to ash, put him on his mama's mantle. Artie Coughlin, regional salesman who needs the polder sale to keep his wife, his job, and his sanity. Then we have Anne, his wife, who's a college friend of Jan Polder. She sees her husband, or she wants to see that her husband gets a cut of the big deals. And last but not least, Jan Polder, the slippery fish Dexter Wilde and Artie Coughlin are trying to land. But you got all those people? I have no idea, man. I swear, <laughs> I've been I've been listening. I paid attention. Kay. Captain Bill and Sandy. No, I, I heard all the okay. people. I just don't know who it is. Okay, well, here's the clues. This mm -hmm. is what I've extracted from, from Ed's story. Okay. okay. Dexter Wilde was shot at close range with a 38. Captain Bill's 38 is missing. It hasn't been proven or disproven that his gun was the murder weapon. Dexter fought with everyone. Um, with Artie Coughlin, he fought over accepting the counteroffer proposed by Jan. 
with Captain Bill. He fought over um, Dexter going straight and turning down the deal. With Jan, he fought over turning down the deal. With his wife, well, they didn't fight on the boat. It's definitely implied that he abused her psychologically, if not physically. Anne Coughlin, while he didn't have words with her, uh, she was involved in the scam that Wilde was going to pass on. So basically, she was trying to get him to take it. And if Wilde died, then Artie could accept the deal. Sandy Travers, well, she doesn't play well with others and has a reputation for a temper and a thin skin. She doesn't mind getting into fights. And just because no one saw her argue with Wilde, he might have said something that got him killed. So, all right, Jack, whose name do you want to put on the arrest warrant? Okay. okay. I don't think Sandy. Okay. Like, she has the reputation to have done something like it. She has no motive whatsoever. I love that her her um, bar fight record was six and two. I love that. It's great. <laughs> that was it would have been seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she has a reason to do it. Okay. I don't think the captain did it. Bill Mix. Bill Mix. I agree. He's weirdly stupid about everything revolving around his gun. He just doesn't care. But I feel like if he did, you know, do that, it wouldn't be a surprise to him. Yeah. No. Like he wouldn't or he, he would pretend that it was a surprise. He wouldn't blow it off the way he's blowing it off. You know, it's ah, guess it's gone. Guess someone threw it overboard. <laughs> what, what are you talking about, dude? That's your gun. What are you doing right now with right. your life? Right. Anyway. Um. I don't think Artie did it because, again, it's just a job. I mean, you're going to kill over not getting a deal. That's stupid. Okay. So, so you have left. Jan and Anne. The wives. Yeah. Oops. Yes. I have the wife and the deal person. Yep. I'm. They, they kind of blew off the wife saying that, well, the insurance policy would make her all right. But, you know, it wouldn't. Well, who cares if, if the dude's abusive? Right. So. But I'm going to go with Jan. You're going to go with because Jan. Because. I don't remember what she had to gain from the deal, but I'm going with Jan. Okay. Okie dokie. Okay. Every, okay, listeners, lodge in, lodge in your votes right next to uh, to Jack's there, and we will go to the next settling the business. We brought the entire group into the saloon again. Captain Bill sat off to one side, perched on a little table, staring wistfully through a port port light looking out to sea. I stood near the nav station, leaning back on the council and watching them shuffle in and take seats. Sandy Travers flashed me her best sullen and sour glare, then stepped at the bar and she poured herself a drink and sat cross-legged on a stool. How do you not like a girl like that? Dorothy Wilde and Jan Porter sat side by side at the little dining table with Artie and Anne sitting across from them. Max, the eager mistress of ceremonies, floated about, papers in hand. Sandy waved a hand. Isn't this a little dramatic? Max chuckled. All the best cop shows wrap up cases this way, and we don't get many cases to practice on. Can you wrap this up now? Jan asked. I do have a life to get back to. I nodded, if you're all honest. Why wouldn't we be? Jan snapped. Maybe because, one, 
or more of you is a murderer, Max said. Well, Jan glared at her. Max shuffled her papers, cleared her throat, and then leveled her gaze at each of the suspects in turn. Most of you have a motive, she said. There are motives all over the place. She pointed at Bill. You might have borne a grudge for what happened years ago. We only have your word for events. She pointed at Sandy. You have a mean streak, and you might have lost your temper. That isn't a motive, Sandy said. It's a virtue. Noted, Max said. Then she pointed at Artie. You desperately needed this sale. Dexter intended to fire you. That's absurd, Artie said. Obvious, not absurd, Jan said. I was glad she'd spoken up. Thank you for pointing that out, Jan, I said. I was going to mention that you intended to use Artie's fears to convince him to sign onto your plan. Jan scowled. I intended to offer him a way to make serious money. I didn't count on Dexter horning in and shutting it down, but it was no big deal. I could walk away and buy from somebody else. Not so easily, Max said. This company was in financial trouble, and you knew Dexter was worried about his future, too. Jan shrugged. Max turned toward Anne. You pressured Artie to get Dexter to make the deal, even though it was illegal. I urged him to do what it took to make the sale, Anne said. His job was on the line. That sounds very supportive, Max said, sounding the same, and then her tone changed. But you weren't interested in his career. Anne pressed her hand to her heart. Of, of course I was. Max shuffled her documents. So your support for the deal had nothing to do with you being the CEO of the corporation that you and Jan created for the scam? Anne's face paled and then she bit her lip. There's nothing illegal about starting a company with an old college friend. Right, Max said. Old college roommates often get together to form a shell company with scam businesses. Artie sat bolt upright, glaring at his wife. You kept that from me, too? You didn't even tell me you knew Jan. We lost touch until you reconnected us, Anne said. She glanced at Jan. Her eyes flashed. Me, Artie said, surprised. Anne nodded. When you became real sales, regional sales manager, you mentioned her name, and I wondered if it could be the same Jan I went to school with. I got her number from your appointment book, and I called her. A refreshing blast from the past, Jan said. Anne, toward, Anne turned toward Jan, her mouth in a small smile. She reminded me of the world we dreamt of when we were in school, a world that held a hell of a lot of shiny promise. Artie was dumbfounded. Why didn't you tell me? What was I supposed to say, Jan snapped. She reached over and took Anne's hand. That she's been incredibly happy when we were together and that the straight life with you turned out to be a giant disappointment? Artie sat up straight. You were, you were lovers? He looked around as if someone could explain it to him. Then he turned back to Max. The truth is that Anne threatened to leave me if I didn't get Dexter to sign the deal. I thought it was just because we needed money and I'd lose my job. Jan rolled her eyes. What does this have to do with Dexter? Motive, Max said. You two concocted this scheme and counted on Artie's fears of losing his job to get him to play along. Dexter wrecked that. If he was on his way out, she let it hang and Jan snorted. Max pointed at Captain Bill, still talking to Jan and Anne. You couldn't have known that the skipper of your charter boat would throw a monkey wrench into things. The women turned and looked at the captain. Bill let out a long breath. I overheard your arguing, he said, and I smelled a rat. 
I told Wilde there was no way he was making that deal. Jan scowled. What do you have to do with this? What could you say or do to stop him? Bill smiled. I could tell the truth. He nodded at the women. So these two killed Dexter because I kept him from making a deal? Killed that ass? No way, Jan said. Max shook her head. No. Jan thought Dexter was playing hardball and they had time to bring him around. I thought Artie could, Jan said. Max smiled at me. Want to fill them in, boss? Do the wrap-up? Suddenly I saw what my deputy had worked out. Sure, I said. Artie had figured out that he was toast. He'd lose his job no matter how this came out. Dexter probably admitted that he told management that Artie's sales were down because he wasn't working hard and that he was falsifying his expense reports. That's a lie, Artie said. I grinned. Max talked to Wilde's boss yesterday. She said Wilde claimed he had proof. Artie pounded a fist on the table. He jiggled the paperwork. He wanted kickbacks on my commission, and I said no. A flash of anger passed, and his face sagged. And now this career-saving deal was falling apart, and Dexter had some secret reason that he wouldn't agree to Jam's terms. You were trapped, I said. Artie dropped his hands into his his face into his hands. When he lifted it, anger was center stage. He screamed at me, said the deal was illegal and unethical. There's a laugh, a sleazy man like Dexter saying anything like that. So you killed him, I asked. We all watched the life go out of Artie Coughlin. Tell us about it, Max said, her voice oddly soft. Artie sobbed. I didn't know what to do. I went for a swim to calm down and when I got out and I was telling myself off, Dexter came up from the saloon. He was drunker than before, and I asked him to tell me why he wouldn't take the deal, but he laughed like a strange laugh. He called me a pathetic loser. He said he was getting rid of me. Where did you get the gun? Max asked. Artie looked bewildered. Dex had it. He was waving it in my face. He said he found it in the captain's cabin in a drawer and brought it for me for you. I slowed my breathing, waiting for him to put it together. He handed me the gun. He put it in my hand and folded my fingers around the handle, but I just stared at it. I couldn't move. I never touched one before. I stared at this ominous thing in my hand, and he told me the best thing I could do for everyone was to blow my brains out. <laughs> he told you to shoot yourself? He laughed at me. He said it was the smartest thing I could do. The only thing to do. Artie shook his head. The moment my fingers closed around the handle, when I felt the weight of it, everything went red. He was laughing at me. I was going to lose everything. My job, Anne, and it wasn't my fault. It was his. What did you do? Max asked. Artie dropped his hands into his face and he sobbed. A haze closed in around me. I heard an explosion and when I opened my eyes, Dexter laid on the ground looking broken. I had the gun in my hand and there was blood like everywhere. What did you do with the gun? Max asked. He shook his head. I don't know. I threw it. Over the side? Maybe. I, I don't know. I just threw it as far as I could. He stared vacantly then and blinked. Poor Dex, Dorothy said. Her voice whispered soft and as gentle as if the man had simply fallen and broken his arm. Poor Dex, Jan asked. She nodded. He pushed people to get what he wanted. He knew other people would fold. He just never understood the danger of pushing people over the edge.
I tossed Captain Bill the keys to the boat. He caught them and gave me a quizzical look. Once we leave, you can get out of here, I said. Bill was pale. I was trying to do the right thing, he said. I had no idea that squashing his deal would get the man killed. We all try to do the right thing, Dorothy said. It doesn't often work out. Even if he wasn't complicit, I didn't like the slippery slope of Bill Mix's moral justification. Even on a party boat, I said, you have to expect the law of unintended consequences to rear its ugly head. Jan and Anne stared sadly at each other. You could see the what-happens-next balloons over their heads. Same for Dorothy Wilde, except she and her sadness tucked away inside of her. Well, I'd call that a confession, Sandy said. Artie looked stunned, emotionally drained. He'd run out of things he could do to salvage his life and taken what might have been the first drastic actions of his life. And now he stared blankly at Anne, who was holding hands with Jan. As Max got Artie to his feet and put the cuffs on him, Anne avoided making eye contact. Are we free to go? Jan asked. Free as birds, I said. Whatever white-collar crimes they might have committed were not something I wanted to deal with. And happily, I didn't have the form for referring them to somebody else. I wasn't even sure who the proper authority would be. No, I'd write the story of our successful murder investigation and refer it to the district attorney. Someone would have to talk to the press, and since Max had done the heavy lifting on the case, she deserved the credit. I'd tell her to join the mayor in making some profound statement about how Excess Key didn't tolerate violent crimes and... Our quick and thorough investigation was proof that rich, rich tourists were mostly safe here. That would make her a shoe-in for sheriff next time around. I'd vote for her myself. Maybe she'll let me be her campaign manager. A wise person once said that people make the best choices they can with the information available to them. He should have added that information gets colored by fear and greed pretty easily, even on a party boat even in a tropical paradise. So you weren't totally wrong, but you weren't totally right. I was totally wrong. <laughs> I, I didn't see him being, I didn't see it being him at all. Yeah, he definitely got sort of emotionally pushed into a corner. I, I thought it was kind of uh, interesting, clever, that... Dexter had brought the gun and was trying to convince. Th- I'm not sure what would what would have accomplished if if um, Artie had killed himself. I, I, he was never going to do that. It was just the dude being drunk. Mm, okay. Yeah, there was no reason behind it. Him being drunk and just being a jerk. So is everybody except Dexter's wife actually a party to this death? Because Jan and Anne came up with the scheme. And yeah, well, Anne was pushing Artie into it. Yeah. The whole thing was illegal. Everything they were doing was illegal. When it comes to the financial stuff, I'm just not sophisticated. I don't get... So they were going to sell the trucks to a shell company. Who so that were, they could use them. And then Dexter would be a part of the shareholder. So he, I think he would get money from it. But he wouldn't be able to vote. On anything. Where's the I money? I don't understand come- how that goes. Yeah. I'm sure the writer knows more about this than we do. Yeah, we so. are going to trust that Ed knows how to do <laughs> financial. We're going to believe that that part's <laughs> accurate because we we don't know. We don't know. The <laughs> one thing, the only thing that I I caught maybe didn't catch 
I'm pretty sure during those murder scenes, if somebody gets their brain splattered out on the wall, that the city cleans it up. I don't think they would have, because it has to be cleaned properly. I don't think they do. I went to, um, uh, I think it was a Sisters in Crime event where they had somebody come in who, whose business does that. Hmm. And I think like insurance partially pays for it, but I do think that it's a private, we'll have to do some research on that. I was going to say, it seemed, I don't know, something about the city, I don't know, it doesn't feel... It seems like if it was evidence, they would collect it up. But if it's not evidence. Still, I feel like it feels weird to make Sandy clean up the dead person. I'm going to, after we get off of this, I'm going to text my friend who used to work for crime scene in Cleveland and ask who cleans up the mess. Now, maybe this is different because it's a boat and like it's a, it's not like a house or something like that. Maritime laws apply. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, I... I choose to believe everything is logically sound. <laughs> How do you walk into that, um, whatever they call it, whatever Room? that cabin is, every time you go to drive that boat and not be like, oh, some guy's brains were just splattered all over here. They didn't seem phased in the slightest. <laughs> Sandy and... Well, maybe that was the way I read it. Bill? Sandy was by far my favorite character. Sandy was great. <laughs> Sandy needs her own mystery. <laughs> yeah. She's a great character. She was great. They did... I mean, yeah, I mean, the, I think making her a suspect was a stretch in just saying that. Because her only suspicious thing was that she has a violent history. Mm-hmm. She's got a temper. That's it. So, I mean, like, it was very easy to say you didn't do it. If, if he hadn't been shot, if he'd been, well, like, thrown overboard, it'd be easier to be like, he made a pass at her actually, and she was, like, rejected. Granted, if you think about it, Artie only killed him because he got emotionally pushed into it I know. sandy would have been way easier to emotionally push into killing him right <laughs> so i guess if you look at it like that but you didn't know throughout the story that's how he was killed no so if you had known that maybe it would be easier to say it was sandy you know and yeah it was a pretty complicated one in the sense that the Everybody murderer has a real motive well like, and they had an element in it because like you know, Artie didn't go get the gun out of the out of the drawer. That's what I was wondering: was how did Artie know where the gun was? Yeah, he and didn't. so I think that was a big way to throw people off. And then, of course, it's just yeah, the guy got drunk, went looking around places, and found it in mm-hmm. his drawer, mm-hmm. which seems like cheating, but of course, it works. It does work. <laughs> it works pretty well. Well, so today's story is by Ed Teha. He is a writer, a poet, a musician, and a world traveler. His stories and poems are about the people and places he knows, odd corners of the world that often disappear into the margins, and the amazing, often strange, people he meets while moving between the cracks. Living as a boat bum in the Caribbean and on the Spanish main, he earned his living playing blues in waterfront bars, working as a deckhand for chartered skippers, and freelance writing. The life brought him in contact with quirky characters and developed his appreciation for twisted stories. Find him on the web at edteha.com. Well, that wraps up the first episode of Season 5 of Mysteries to Die For. Please do support our show by by telling mystery lovers about us, giving us a five-star review, subscribing to the show. Check out our website. I don't know what just happened there. (laughs) That totally threw me off. Check out our website, uh, tgwolf.com forward slash podcast for links to the season's authors. 
Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. Party Boat was written by Ed Teha. Music and production are by Jack Wolf, and episode art is by T.G. Wolf. All right, Jack. You have the helm. <laughs>